Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Uh, All right. Sunday night, late night radio. What fun. Up this morning, looking for my shoes. Look behind the trunk, found the hesitation blues. Lordy, tell me how long. Lordy, tell me how long. Will I have to wait? Will I have to wait? Can I get you now? Can I get you now? Must I hesitate? about this episode 
Because tonight we do have Bill Willard. Awesome. That's me. That's hey. you. Uh, yeah, yeah, Bill Willard. Welcome. And I got I got to be honest. Um, there's a lot of people that are a lot more intelligent than me, and uh, I try to go with the flow. This guy is a professor in physics. So, you know, we got this. We got this, guys. All right. Yes, we do. Not to worry. Yep. Cool. Yeah, we got this. Uh, so we got some upcoming announcements. Uh, here we go. Uh, it looks like next week we might be getting J.L. Patello. J.L. Patello oh, cool. might Cool. Yeah, he he was the one who started Francie and Friends. He needed a new podcast show, and I said, hey, JL, and he said, yes, and I said, maybe take a chance on me, and he, so yeah, there we go, the start of Francie and Friends, JL Patello, I'm, I'm messaging him, and I'm, yeah, so, all right. Nicholas Kowalski, upcoming events. Events? I don't know about events, but releases. There um, we go. Actually, uh, uh, for those not in the know, uh, my uh, my um, novelization to Halloween 4 is now in hardcover on Amazon, and I'm signing copies on eBay. And um, cool. I've got uh, the um, a new revised paperback, too, and... For anybody that uh, cares, that's listening, Halloween fans, um, uh, all the other releases are um, not available anymore, just these ones. So um, look us up on Amazon or um, on eBay uh, only, actually. Um, and uh, as far as Black Bedsheet Books new releases are concerned, we're still waiting on, and it's going to be released this week, on uh, Raina Young's <coughs> Splatter Girl. Slasher Girl, Slasher Girl. I keep wanting to call it Splatter Girl because of the cover with all the blood. Splasher yeah, uh, Girl by Raina Young, yeah. it's uh, She's um, uh, published about 10 books, 10, 11, 11, 12 books with me over the years since about, well, yeah, um, 10 years ago. And um, same thing with Tom Sawyer, too, uh, uh, 10 years ago. Wow, lots of books. Great stuff. Um, And these are all great writers. Um, But, um, yeah, so um, Slasher Girl is coming up by Raina Young. Also, Raina Young did the introduction to the second in our – in our um, classic horror series, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So um, that's going to be all groovy. And for authors of Black Bed Sheet books, we've got like 200 of them. Anybody that's listening, yes, uh, this is Royalty Week. I am working on statements, and uh, that uh, happens at the end of uh, every January of every year going into the first week of February. And uh, it is not fun doing um math uh i love being creative hate doing math but and accounting and well you know hand in hand 
stuff like that. But it is getting done as usual, and uh, we are going to be making super great announcements after this week, which means cool. the week after this week. Awesome. Uh, with some new authors and all kinds of new releases, and we're heading full steam ahead towards the spring, which is the best part of our year. We've been around since 2008. And um, also, mind you, um, I, it, uh, when I do Google searches on black bedsheet books and everything, keep forgetting all the stuff that you can find. But we are still number 13 on the top um, West Coast publishers, period. Sweet. And I work out of a garage. Yeah, right. So it, it, that is like just the, that kind of stuff when I come across that, that really amazes me. But and, and and I don't know if any corporate publishers on the West Coast even care about marketing or something, but it's not really even a marketing thing because I didn't reach out to these people. I don't even know who they are. Um, it's uh, writingoasis.com. Um, <coughs> but anyway, and and we just won an award for uh, number five in the um, best publishers of uh, 2021 on the Critters, Critters, Predators, and Editors Reader's Choice Awards. So Congratulations. So yeah. we, we win awards every year. Uh, I want to win awards and make a ton of money. But awards are good just by themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cause yeah. So you, anyway, you, uh, those you, are uh, the announcements that I can think of, Francie. All right, uh, Tom, what's going on in your neck of the woods? Oh, well, I'm five stories away from completing book six and seven of the In Rod We Trust series. So I just got one one book, only needs one more story, the other need four. So somehow when I was going back and forth, I got writing some other ones. Um, um, planning on going to uh, a convention in March at Metro Airport. That's a Nova, not Nova, it's... It's a Sheraton, I keep calling because the other convention mat is at the Novi Sheraton. But at the Sheraton at the Metro Airport in Detroit, or Romulus, technically, in March uh, 17th, 18th, 19th. And then uh, one in Cadillac, Michigan, on uh, April. And then hopefully I get selected to do Traverse City Cherry Con Memorial Day weekend. So I'm waiting to hear from that. Oh, I'll find nice. out the 1st of February on that. So, And then... Um, Probably nothing until July and August, but I plan on once I get these short stories done for the In Rod We Trust uh, books, I plan on going back to a novel I was writing called The Werewolves of Draco, which is a novel I've been working on for a while, and it's all done in journals, sto- uh, letter, notes, you know, that kind of thing formed to, to lay out a history of the town that has people disappearing in it and stuff, and it's in kind of chronological order from the first archived records of it to, you know, and notes to present day. So, so I got to kind of do my little history research and stuff too. So, so that's all that's going on with me, you know. Nice. Well, I mean, you know, as, as luck would have it, uh, you know, you've got a historian on the other side of the show here. So uh, if you need oh, any yeah. help, let me know. <laughs> Yeah, well, I might have to uh, take him up on it. Maybe I'll have to incorporate some kind of Titanic thing into somebody uh, coming from there and not making it or something. You know, 
I like history, so that's that's that that fit in nicely. So Well, works for me. <laughs> yep. Uh, by the way, I am going to kind of brag for a second. We are number three in popularity of live shows right there, right now. Cool. That's very cool. Awesome. Yeah, okay. Really? All right. All right. Uh, so let's bring him in. Um, I love this guy's Southern Draw. And when my younger brother hears this, maybe tomorrow, I don't know if he listens to my podcast because he says, do you really do a podcast? And I say, yeah. And he said, did you seriously interview Jeff Conaway? Well, yeah. It's live. Here you go. Uh, he is a huge fan of the Clemson Tigers, and he grew up in my home state. Hey, Bill. Hey there. How are you, Francie? I'm doing good. How you doing? Loving every minute of it. Yeah. Good. I I I meant the Southern Draw because you know William he doesn't have it. No, no, I don't. No. no. <laughs> well, we tend to think of it that ours is the right way to speak, and all of you have an accent. Oh, the the New Yorkers, they talk like this. The New Yorkers, and then you got the Canadians, eh? They talk like this, eh? And then you got the Floridians, and the Floridians are a combination of everything. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> oh, hold on. Let me just make a special announcement. Um, uh, Nick, I yeah. told you it was called Floridians because I took Spanish class. It is a Spanish flower. It is called Floridians, not she, Florida. She torments me ever since I met her about how it's not Florida. It's Florida. And I'm going, well, that's the Spanish pronouncement, Francie. You can speak but the American pronouncement, Spanish, too. It's, it's, it's <laughs> named after a Spanish flower, which is Florida. Yeah, but most people do actually pronounce it Florida. Yeah. Yes, they, yes Even the do. Southerners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, unless you go to Miami, then it's Florida. <laughs> Oh, it's like tomato, tomato, potato, potato. Only it's in Francieese. Exactly. <laughs> I I told I told my Spanish professor I was like, uh, me born in Florida. He's like, no, you were born in Florida. I was like, what the hell is a Florida? It's like a tortilla, okay. only it smells different. Yep. <laughs> okay, tomato, tomato, ketchup, ketchup. Hey, so, Bill, what's going on with you, man? Not not a lot. I, I, I do teach four days a week. We've got a full schedule of teaching wonderful students. We learn all sorts of 
electricity and magnetism and right now we just finished taking a we'll be taking a test on projectile motion in one class tomorrow they they are loving that um, um, working on whatever my next project might be I've got all sorts of irons in the fire got to keep busy when you get old well, Wait, can, can you I ask a my physics question? With, uh, talking about uh, perfection, your project. Which which one? The '98 project or the current project? The current one. The current project that I'm working on is called Project Name Them All. Um, when Titanic sank. Uh, they recovered some 300 bodies, uh, more than 300. 300 is uh, just a rounded number. And right now there are about 40 of them that are buried in Halifax, Nova Scotia, that are unknown. And I have a scientific team, a forensics uh, person, uh, historians, and uh, we would have made the proposal to go down and extract a DNA sample from each one and to identify them based on today's current DNA technology. Um, all of the Titanic family members that we've talked to totally support this. These are Titanic family members who lost a loved one, and that may be their family member that's buried in one of those graves. And uh, All of them are supportive, and only uh, two or three people, a uh, handful of people, um, are against it. And... Uh, Disappointingly, those people tend to be quite loud. So um, we've been on hold since COVID from doing more negotiations, and that's of course been a couple of years now. Um, but we we hope that one of the three cemeteries will say, "Come up and see if you can help identify these people." The only thing we can give them in the 21st century is their names and their identities and that their families can come and can res respectfully be there. So that's what we're looking at. One of our How can they identify them? Um, would they exhume the bodies or do DNA research? Uh, I mean, I know that's possible, but uh, and why are the naysayers against it? To do the DNA technology, we would not do an exhumation. Exhumation means bring the whole body up. What we would do is leave it, the, the scientific term is in situ, in situating as it is, and we would go down and we would extract just a little bit of a piece of the bone, just 10, 10 grams, and we would do that twice so that we would have two samples. And from that, uh, we would find current family members just based on using um, simple genealogical traces. That's easy to do. So many people know that, yes, my ancestor was such and such on Titanic, and I've had 243 family members so far offer me their DNA to help find their ancestor. So uh, that would be relatively wow. simple to do. The people that are hesitant, the cemeteries feel that there may be a negative blowback on all this, that people may think that it's ghoulish, that they don't think know if it be, would be good or not. And we've got two or three people that are up there that, um, because they are feel that the, you know that they have a a, a say so over the graves because they've been helping to tend them for so many years that 
uh, no, we don't want you to touch our our stuff. We want you to stay away. And those are family be, members. Uh, those more persuasive local. if it was uh, more in the lines of a homicide type of a situation, even though they weren't murdered. But in that kind of a situation where, you know, it's it's very important for people to find their families and, and what, you know, who who died in their lineage on the Titanic and and so forth. Uh, with that, simple, if you're not exhuming the bodies. I don't understand why they would make such a big deal out of it. Exactly. There are. Yeah. Um, there was a project in 2001. One of the children that were buried was a male, approximately age two, and there were four possibilities this child could have been. They contacted the four families of those four children, and all four of them supported it, so the court gave permission to examine a sample of that child's uh, remains and do a DNA trace. Well, 2001 DNA was not as strong as it is now. It was just in the, the beginning, so it took a lot more effort. And it finally took about six years before they were able to definitely confirm who the child was. It was Sidney Goodwin is who the unknown child is. And... Um, it was such a sad story. This poor child, you know, was one of a family of about 10. And, um, but at least they know who that child is now. Um, what we've done, my history group, there's about three of us. We've taken the description of a certain body that was placed in one of the graves. Uh, they're identified by numbers. And we've looked through all of the fatalities on the ship to see which ones this could have been. In Mount Olivet Cemetery, for example, there's a female, and the female was approximately 38 to 40 years old, and that person could be about seven different people. Two of them are from the same village. They were sister-in-laws uh, in Lahardon, Ireland, and they're from the Adargul 14, who sent 14 of their sons and daughters on Titanic, and 11 did not survive. And uh, when we went over there in 2019 to talk to the, the group of the families, all of them were so incredibly supportive. They said, imagine not only what it would mean to the family, but what it would mean to Ireland itself to find some of their lost ones and to be able to say, there they are. We, we, we found them. And so uh, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I don't see any negative to this. I see only great, great positives if uh, for the family members. but And not just the, the family members, power. but for um, historical purposes. 100% exactly. correct. Right now in America, for example, they're doing their best to identify some of the Pearl Harbor victims. You'll see where they've identified one every now and then. Um, they're doing the same things in, in different uh, battlefields. When they find something, they're trying to do a DNA test to see if this person was, in fact, uh, who it was. And um, it means so much to the family. And, uh, you know, we our, our team was backed by a production company that would do a documentary about it. We were going to do a docu-series, several shows, um, uh, talking about this. And um, hopefully we would have found the results before the final show, and we could have announced that this 
is where we're going in some of these and had a wonderful ceremony where the family members come come forth and we reveal the nameplate um, there at the grave. That's what we had hoped to do. Well, so. that that sounds like the end of Schindler's List. Uh, Believe it or not, um, it, it's incredible. Um, we were, one of the cemeteries is a Jewish cemetery. It's Baron de Hearst Cemetery in Halifax. And uh, we had proposed a um, memorial if they would have it on their grounds. There is no memorial. I'm not Jewish. Um, um, I'm Protestant. But we were going to build a Jewish memorial to those Jews who were on Titanic. And we would have on one side of the memorial wall the names in English and on the other side in Hebrew to honor them in their own, with their own faith and in their own um, language. And we would have stones very moving and touching on a thing. shelf just like they did in Schindler's List. That was one of the things that we were going to do if they say yes. Wow. Uh, that was very moving and touching. Nice gesture. Absolutely. Um, Indeed. We had a lot of yeah. people supporting us in the project. We had the city of Southampton. Southampton is where most of the crew was from. They lived in the houses up and down near the shore, near the docks. And almost every city block in, in Southampton lost someone on Titanic. And the mayor of Southampton even applauded us for our efforts and supports our project. And he said how much it would mean in his, his, his endorsement, how much it would mean to the city of Southampton to find their long lost, uh, you know, citizens. And even if they're buried in Halifax, they would at least know uh, we found you. And, and, you know, they probably would have participated by asking us to place a wreath and the mayor himself may have come over and helped place a wreath on those citizens, you know, those Southampton people's graves when we identified them. So it was a multidimensional project. Uh, we had great people working and volunteering to do this. Um, I've had, um, when I did a presentation for the British Titanic Society in 2019, I stood up and I, I had a talk. And at the end, it's time for questions, and a lady pops up, and she said, and I'm paraphrasing. She said, I came here to see if this was for real or if this is, you know, just somebody trying to sell us a bill of goods. And she said, I totally believe in this project. I believe in this man. And she was indicating me. And she said, I believe in it so greatly that if you need DNA, I will volunteer to be first. I want to find my family member. I'd already told them, I said, this is not a plea for money. We're not asking for a dime. This is just support of our project. and But she said, and I'll tell you now, if you need money, I will contribute. Tell me who to send it to, and I will make a contribution. She said, that is how strongly I believe in this project. And people applauded, and another lady stands up and tells the, almost the very same thing. She said, I'm a family member. I will volunteer my DNA, and I will volunteer money if you need it as well. And I got some of the best hugs at the end of that session that were priceless. That is they so were worth awesome. the, the plane flight over there to, to make those relationships and uh, to, you know, to cultivate new friendships. And uh, we wanted so much to help those people if the cemeteries will let us do so. That's so, so that's awesome. The current, that's the current project. 
I'm a dreamer. I've always been a dreamer. And uh, um, I, I guess Willy Wonka would have been very proud of me. I'm a dreamer of dreams. That's good for the people like that. No, nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, I, I, I want to touch upon your um, your previous project as well, too, which is uh, your <laughs> yeah. book, Our Story. Our Story. You know, and, uh, okay. You know, the, and you know, just so everyone knows, that uh, Bill was actually involved in the 1998 expedition when the piece of Titanic was raised. And... Even though he swears he's just a small key in the uh, in the bigger picture, you know, still he's part of the lucky few that were there. And uh, you know, the the, uh, the book itself, you know, he actually interviewed the other expedition members. So, you know, so it's not just him talking about what he saw. It's basically what everybody did during the course of the whole time. <coughs> now. I've read my copy about seven dozen times uh, since it's come out. And within that time frame, I will admit, there are certain portions of it that have helped to inspire at least four of my eight uh, short film scripts. Uh, you know, two of them in particular. One is, uh, you know, the part when you were talking about, you know, being at the wreck site and then trying to outrun the, the oncoming hurricane. Exactly. And uh, the other is when 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 you got lost in in the uh, French town and walking through the uh, red light district at three o'clock in the morning. That, yes, that was a memory that will not uh, vacate. Um, our story was written though to honor the effort that uh, we had several teams out there working together in 1998. The, the, one of the main objectives of the expedition was to raise a hull piece. It weighed about 17 and a half tons. And if you want to look at it, call up Titanic Big Piece. It's currently on display at the Luxor in Vegas. It's been there for a few years. It's right now there's no plans for it to go anywhere else. But our expedition team raised that piece in 98. They started in 96, encountered some difficulty, and so when we went back out there in 1998, uh, we raised it. We had some incredible people. Uh, William is right. I, I, am, I was just a little person. I was a, a school teacher, and I had designed a camera system that was intended to go deep inside the ship. It was supposed to be expendable. It wasn't one of these million-dollar cameras because, like I said, I was a school teacher. I didn't have millions of dollars to put into it like a James Cameron did. And so we invented this system. The Discovery Channel thought that is such a cool story. We're going to take him out there with his camera system, and we're going to do some work on this. So we get out there. I get to meet. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say, um, everybody is talking about the Titanic is the unsinkable ship. Nothing is going to sink the ship. When it comes down to it, like a little pinpoint in the ship is what it A right. little pinpoint the- is what sunk the ship. Do you think there's more to it than that? No, um, the reason why, the 
they've determined from the volume of water and the times, um, it was documented where the water was at certain times after the collision. And they were able to calculate that the opening um, was about the size of a refrigerator door. It was not very much. It was about 12 square feet. The trouble was is it was in the first five watertight compartments, and the ship was designed to stay afloat with four of them, but not five. The pumps could not rid the water, and as the front got heavier and heavier, if you imagine an ice cube tray and you fill up a a cell, a cube, it's going to pour over into the next cube, and when it fills up, it pours over into the next cube, and that's what happened on this 800, almost 900-foot ship over a period of about two hours. And they could have so you don't believe in the fire theory, the fire theory, or the binoculars theory. No, the coal fire was disproven back in 1912, and it's just been resurfaced. The person who brought it up um, was Senator Maloney of Ireland, and he's taken a lot of flack from the Titanic community because all it is is uh, the t- the fire had been put out. It was. At most, it was smoldering. It was not even a fire. Um, Some people are saying it was so hot it caused the steel to melt. Well, the swimming pool was nearby. If the fire was that hot, it would have parboiled anybody near the swimming pool. And there was no reports of the water in the swimming pool being affected. So that means it could not have gotten into the exterior of the ship. So those things were disproved, you know, 100 years ago. And it's just what about the binoculars uh, uh, with the uh, – yeah, I'm sure you're, you know about this, the binoculars thing. Where, uh, where the mirage they, theory they you're talking about? Or? It's the one where the, um, the, the captain uh, – uh, nobody had the keys. They were left ashore uh, to a room full of binoculars, and they couldn't get to them. So they couldn't – Well, they like, did not uh, have binoculars up in the crow's nest. That's true. Hey, hey Bill, I got a question for you. It's just a matter of, uh, me and my brother used to talk about this, so it's like wood is buoyant. It floats pretty much, I mean, you know, life boats were wood. Did anybody think of getting the tables or the deck chairs or something and get, I'm sure you'd be a little wet, but you wouldn't be stuck in the cold water and die of hyperthermia, really. You'd be cold, but, I mean... I mean, if a few people got together and grabbed a big dinner table, they could have four or five people could have sat on that sucker. You know, Absolutely. that's always there was always one. Said, were they too panicked, or they just weren't thinking clearly, or I were, mean, did anybody do that at all? There was one of the uh, crew. His name was Charles Joffin. He was the baker. Uh, Charles Joffin went down the deck and was throwing deck chairs over, and somebody said, "Are you daft, man? What are you doing?" And he's pointing, and you see people swimming over to them as he's throwing them out there. Um, nobody was um, thinking, let's make us a little raft out of about eight or ten of these and getting a belt or whatever and tying them off real quick. Um, if they did, it was an individual or two. Um, all of the ship's crew was busy with the upside-down collapse, excuse me, the collapsibles on the forward near the first funnel trying to get those ready to walk off. Hmm. So it, was, it just seems it was, to me um, because one of the movies I can't remember if it's Night to Remember or 
the latest Titanic movie, but one of the movies showed, I think, one individual trying to strap together with a belt deck chairs. And yeah, that was nice to remember. Correct. That was yeah. nice to remember. Now, uh, now, uh, Joffin actually has two fun little tidbits. Um, you know, he, he's, he's actually in uh, James Cameron's movie too. He makes a cameo, but uh, you know, he uh, he actually got plastered during the course of the sinking, and he ended up being the last person to leave the ship. So, uh, when the stern went vertical, he uh, you know his quote is he wrote it down like an elevator and didn't get his head wet. He stepped off as it went under the water, and he did not get his hair wet. That's correct. Is that the guy that drank well, uh, a lot of the cherry cooking cherry or whatever, and had his body temperature cool already? Was that, yep, that, that, that the cook for the baker? That's him. Okay. That's yeah, makes you wonder how much whiskey he actually drank. <laughs> he had a, a bottle of scotch. That'll work. He took two with him, but he didn't finish the second one. Well, I kept that to celebrate living after that, <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. And the way he survived, the even in the water, was um, uh, in unique in itself. Um, he was dealing with the upside-down collapsible. And mm-hmm. so he was in the water a little while then, and they had to finally uh, were able to get him out of the water, and he was able to survive. Yeah, I think he died I... in, I want to say, 1958, 1958 or 53 in New Jersey, I think. I may be mistaken on that. I don't have my note in front of me. Because when the last Titanic movie came out, I remember a local, because I worked at a Beaumont Hospital. I was in the TV control room. I did the news, any medical news stuff, and they are talking about, you know, things in the movie and medically. And uh, one of the doctors said that suggested that maybe it was, who was a fan of the movie, said maybe it was because he drank, it cooled, it automatically lowered his body. Alcohol lowers your body temperature anyway, so it might have helped him. <laughs> survive as long as he did in the water he would have eventually perished if he stayed in it the rest of the time but it kind of helped his body out being in it the way he was exactly that may have had something to do with it for sure so many wonderful incredible stories um you consider there were 2208 people on the ship and each one has more than one story, and some we know and some we don't know, and, and that's what's incredible about uh, those staterooms to me is you go into some of those staterooms and people carried everything they owned in their bag because they're going to a new world. They were never going back to their native home, and they carried everything that they owned, and uh, that was their life. And they had to leave it in a ship and, and run out. Some survived and some did not. Yeah, and is, a lot of people are was... questioning when Titanic came out, a lot of people are questioning, uh, did that make America awesome or was that a downfall? You're talking about the social ramifications of it? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think there were some things that did change because of it. Senator William Alden Smith held a um, uh, an inquiry immediately 
Um, he held it in the same room where they, they eventually held the Teapot Dome scandal hearings. Uh, the Clarence Thomas confirmation hearings were in that room and several other things um, in Washington. Uh, we were allowed to go into that room one day when they were not using it. And it's very powerful historically. But William Alden Smith, um, one of the things that he did that was prominent is that any life, uh, any ship that touched American soil needed to have enough lifeboats on it for every passenger and crewman on board. And so they had to go back with all these mega uh, gigantic cruise ships and they had to put more lifeboats on board in order to meet that law if they wanted to land at an American port. And that was major. Another thing is that um, when you were in school and you did a fire drill or a tornado drill or anything like that, <laughs> that was from legislation passed in 1912 after Titanic so that people would know what to do in the event of a disaster. Let them know what they need to do so that they have an idea in case something happens. And that is where those came from. I, I always hated those tornado drills because you had to go in the hallway and you had to place your hands over your head and your butt was sticking in the air. And I'm like, is the guy across from me looking at my butt? <laughs> Come on, you like all felt that. Uh, guys, guys, uh, come on. Come I, on, I, uh, I never liked Williams, it because that would have made a big wind. How many times were you afraid that the guy across from you was peeking at your butt? Uh, I was never afraid. And- Let's see. Oh, Aunt Debbie, are you still there? Duck and cover. Yeah. Duck and cover. Yeah. Your mind's Duck and cover. Come on. Duck and cover. Come on. Were you afraid yeah, so. the guy across the hall was staring at your butt? Never. If he was, he was so. having a problem. There you go. Yeah. You know, I I, kind of want to make a short story out of my earliest recollection of ever hearing about the Titanic. Um, And uh, I think that it might be cool. I don't know. Uh, Got so many things to write about, but this is one of them. Um, About uh, the Titanic not hitting the iceberg, but going into kind of like a big sea of foam coming up and then all of a sudden there's military soldiers on the top of it and it's me when I was six years old playing in the bathtub with a boat called the Titanic not knowing what it was but the Titanic sunk so I would always have it sink with all of the um, army soldiers on the top of it and and it would go in and people would go ah and I had no idea all I knew was that I, it, it, the Titanic sunk, and this is my, and I'm playing in the bathtub. Uh, but in yeah, an alternate universe, though, that would be something that uh, that the people would like. Instead of the Titanic sinking in reality, they would actually be a part of the bathtub, and then they would like uh, there would be uh, thousands of people that would submerge, and I would go, oh my gosh, are these ants? Oh no, they're people. 
Oh no, and it would be like a kind of like a lost in I don't know what. Why do I see Land you in a bubble bath full of people going? You do have a lot of listeners that um, write a lot of like science fiction, fantasy, horror fiction. So uh, I mean, you know, but yeah, I was thinking of writing a, actually thinking of writing a short story about uh, them going into another dimension, and it's a kid in a bathtub, and they don't know what to do, and they're all in the water, going, "What is this?" Well, it's a good thing Bill's um, got a uh, physics background. You, you could probably uh, get some good ideas. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I doubt it very seriously with the physics. It, it has to be a big, vast when imagination. When I'm a young kid but, in the bathroom, um, I really would not want to do physics. So. Legally, with a young kid playing with all Now with that little like a uh, bit of uh, like uh, past humor and stuff, Bill. What's your um, tell tell listeners about your background? My background. Yes. Um, I have two degrees in physics: one from Clemson University and one from the University of Virginia. Uh, taught in a public high school for till I retired in one state. Moved back to North Carolina, and now I'm teaching at a college up here. And um, basically, that that's that's me. I'm, I do I'm, played a lot of sports. Played a lot of sports growing up. Um, I sort of retired from sports about 2008, maybe. Um, I got too old. And uh, you know, when the warranty wears out, all the parts start going out. So. Oh, um, I'm now relegated to r- reminiscing and telling stories where I was much better than I may have been, really. <laughs> I know. Uh, don't you don't you hate those glory days um, when you were awesome? I was drafted <laughs> on my high school basketball team, and I I'm gonna go ahead and say it. My younger brother is going to be jealous because he probably watched you play football because you played on the University of Clemson football I played team. there in 1979 and in the spring of 80. That is correct. Uh, oh, man. I had to have My ankle surgery and that ended me there. Clemson. Uh, I, was, I was, thought I was a big person in high school. I was 6'3". I was about 215. I had strong legs. I had strong arms. And then I walk in down there, and there's people around me that are 6'7 and 6'8 and 315. And they're Arnold. They're, they're all very strong like Arnold. They're huge, <laughs> enormous bodies where they've been lifting weights for four years longer than I have. And I'm sitting here going, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bitty thing. And uh, I was – not gifted with the athletic skills that those kids had, but I was, I was smart. I was a learner. I learned how to do an offense. I learned plays. I was able to do a lot that way so that uh, later on I did a lot of coaching and had a lot of great kids play ball for me. And uh, I was able to have a enjoy life. I did. It was a really honor. It was a real honor to do a lot of coaching and working with young kids. I I did coaching, too. Now, imagine me as a freshman. I skipped school 
a lot with my Uh-oh. friend Beth, who is I'm sure is going to tune in. We skip school a lot, and my PE coach, she always said, you skip school. I know, because I get this period off, and i seen you walking down the street, and I'm like, okay. So she's always telling me, you skip school. I'm 5'5", five five. and uh, she called me in one more time, and she said, uh, I told Coach Stiles, I said, I was in school. I was in school, checked my records, and she said, no, I want you to be on the basketball team. I'm 5'5". Five 5'5 five. <laughs> five five not bad. I made... I made the high school basketball team. Honestly, I'm 5'5". Five five. I was able to make an NBA three-point shot as a freshman. Nice. Oh, oh yeah. I had, I had the arch. I had it all. But I shot like a girl. But yet my... I was a now, great athlete. You taller than Spud Webb, though, Francie. Oh, no, I, I, I could player. not jump. I I was never able to jump. Could now, Bill, I, I, got a, I, I, I do have a fun question for you. Uh, would you mind telling Nick and Francie the uh, the story that you told me this week about when you, when you uh, saw Alien? <laughs> oh, you remember that. Oh, you remember that. Oh, yes. When I was a senior in high school, the movie Alien came out, and we thought it was the coolest thing in the world because it showed this montage of images, and then it went to this glowing egg, and then it goes across the screen, and it said, Alien, in space, no one can hear you scream. Now, my generation is the one that saw the original Halloween on the opening night, and we saw the original Friday the 13th. On opening night, Friday, June thirteenth, nineteen seventy-eight, I still have my ticket stub. So when awesome. Alien came out, we had to go see it, and uh, I was in a group of about six or eight of us. We were not in the popular kids, but we were a bunch of kids that would hang out together. Four of them were girls, and two of us were guys, and we just had such a great time together. We were a family, and the girls said, "We're not going to see that movie. You two guys go and see it." And then we'll go see it with you, but you have to promise to tell us when to cover our eyes because we don't want to get scared. So you know what the two guys did. We looked at each other, and we sort of said, we promise, with a big grin. And um, so we went to see Alien. We loved it. So then came the night the girls were going to go with us a couple of nights later. They're already half terrified because we said this is such an awesome movie. Now, this is not a spoiler because this movie has been out already over 30 years, you know, 40 years ago. Um, the scene where Harry Dean Stanton, Stanton, who plays Brett, he goes off by himself looking for the cat. Everybody knows rule number one on a horror movie is you don't go off by yourself. That's the next victim. So Harry Dean Stanton is walking through, here, Jonesy, Jonesy, and I tell them I've got to go to the bathroom. Now, the way we were sitting was girl, boy, girl. Girl, me, girl. And so I said, I've got to go to the bathroom. So I went out, 
but instead of going to the bathroom, I went back two rows and very quietly climbed up right behind those two girls. Now, he's looking for the cat. The music's getting very tense. Water is dripping down, and he reaches out. He takes his hat off, and he sticks his face under the water. Now, everybody that's seen the movie knows that's not when the bad part happens. It happens a little bit later. But when he did that, I took my hands and put one on each of their shoulders and ran it down toward their stomach, and they started screaming like they were going to die, screaming and slapping me and hitting me and screaming. And the other two girls started screaming because they were, and nothing happened on the screen. The people in the theater were howling. And I'm sitting there loving every minute of it. They're screaming, and all of a sudden here comes this big alien dropping down behind Brett on the screen. So everybody's going, ha, 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 <laughs> You can just hear the breath, you know, because they're, oh, look what's on the screen. And even the girls stopped going, oh, my gosh. And the other fellow yelled, cover your eyes. And I went, you know, and he's gone. It didn't take a second. And uh, they, even at our 40th reunion, I brought that story up. And the girl that was sitting to my right, Alicia, she lives in Louisville. Kentucky, Alicia goes, I still owe you for that one. I'm glad you reminded me. I will pay you back before we die, I promise. And so that's one of our great memories from seeing Alien uh, the first week it was open way back then. I ran my hand over their shoulder. Oh, man, they were screaming and slapping my arms, and uh, I was able to, to do quite well with that one. I was very, very sneaky. Hats off to you for that one. That was a plus. Hey, Bill? So, yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I didn't know if I could be here or not. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, William's aunt, Debbie. I, I have a question about, um, actually, about astronomy, if you don't mind. Uh, about what? Astronomy. Astronomy. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, uh, I'm kind of an amateur astronomer. And um, I've always asked Santa Claus for a telescope and never got one. So now I'm going to buy myself my own telescope. But I don't, and I'm looking at them like crazy, and I have no idea what I should buy. I want something I can take, uh, hook it up to my Apple phone and take pictures. And I mean, I know enough. I don't want to get like a little basic thing for kids to look at the moon. I'd like to look at things further out. Gotcha. Um, I would suggest something that has a magnification. It did, well, if you want to see Jupiter and the four Jovian moons, that's the Galilean moons that go around Jupiter. Right. There's four of them that we can see with a telescope from Earth. Uh, a 42 power will show you that. Um, a 90 power will show them a lot better. Um, with a 42 power, you can see all the craters on the Earth, on the moon, I mean, from Earth. And uh, you can see the entire moon in your image um, with a 90 power, 90 or 92 power. I think 92 is what it comes in. Um, you can see a quarter of the moon, but you can see it in extremely close detail. You can even see, if you look around the curve, you can see the jagged edges around the edge of the moon and things like that. Um, well, one of the things that I would... The moons of Jupiter, or whatever, or the rings of Saturn. I mean, I really want to look out further. 
okay? Um, you can see Saturn with your eye. Um, yeah. If you know where to look. About the rings of Saturn. You, to see the rings, you really need something that's more like a 250 or 300. You can barely discern it with a 92 power. It's a little dot. Right. Now, of course, Saturn's about 7.5 million miles away. So it's right. going to be a little little bitty dot anyway on that screen. So you're going to need something that's pretty high-powered. Um, it all depends on how much you want to put in one. Celestron is one of the best models to buy. I mean, the best okay. that we've used. Now, I don't get any endorsement. I don't get any money no, no, or no, for no, a commission no, or anything. But the Celestron is an excellent one that's reasonable and um, try to get you something that's like a 250 or 300 power. You know, you can spend 250 which is a good price. You can spend 2000 and it's even bigger, you know. It all depends on what you want to look at. Something in the twos I can afford, you know, 200 250 something like that. Uh, but I'd like to have go. it hook up to my, my phone so I can take pictures, especially when there's like a, a meteor shower and, and things like that. Definitely you can – they have a t um, – adapters slash attachments that you can hook on that will place your phone directly over the eyepiece so that you can press the button and you'll take the exact image. They do a good job of accommodating with the new technology of the cell phone cameras. Now, uh, now Bill, since, uh, since my aunt's on the phone, I know she's going to get a kick out of this one. You would ask me to remind you to uh, ask, ask you about dark shadows. Uh, that was one of the greatest shows ever. I, for about six years, I would not sleep without either a pillow completely covering my head and my blanket up to my chin. Um, but that was all these people that love these horror genres and love to write horror stories. Uh, Dark Shadows, the movie House of Dark Shadows, which, whichever one Barnabas gets killed at the end is the one that terrified me the most. House of Dark, House of Dark Shadows. Exactly. That was <laughs> such a fantastic movie. Buddy one. Um, yeah. Loved it. Yes. Uh, the crossbow, you know, everybody's throwing up blood. And uh, Barnabas Collins, Jonathan Fred was an outstanding actor. And I was so pleased that they were able to feature at least four of the stars in the uh, Johnny Depp movie. I was not a fan of the Johnny Depp movie. Uh, it was okay. I, I didn't dislike it, but it was not what I was hoping it would be. But for those people who don't know, at the party when they're having the concert, the door opens and four guests come in. And that's four of the main stars from the TV series. It's Jonathan Fred, David Selby, who played Quentin, Laura Parker, and uh, Alexander Moltke, I think, is the other one. It's the, the played um, Winters, Victoria Winters. But the, the four well, of them. Wasn't that Catherine Grayson? May, may have been. It may have been. Great. Uh, whoever the fourth one was. It was, but the the one I like, David Selby, is one of my favorites because he ended up what? playing in a movie about Titanic later too. Hey, while well, we're talking about movies, though, I got a question for you. Which movie was the most accurate? Titanic movie. Yeah, the night I mean, I remember it was one of the most accurate. Okay, I don't know which one was the latest Titanic in that one. Uh, well. 
what happened in the the later one. If you take out Jack and Rose on the Love Boat, then yeah. that movie is actually quite good. Um, James Cameron went to the same carpet company that made carpet for Titanic. He went to the same people that made the plateware. Now, of course, it's 100 years later, but he had them recreate the patterns for accuracy. The one thing he had to do was Leonardo DiCaprio is not a tall guy. Um, the ship was a 90% size. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, it was a 90% size from the real ship. And I actually got an opportunity to apply to be an extra because of one of the groups that I was in. And I thought, this is so cool. I would love to go and act like an Englishman or something. You know, you just trim my goatee and make it look really nice and walk around with a cane and a top hat. Or or I could be a third-class man down there having so much fun with everybody else. And the problem was I was 6'3". And because of the size of that scale model, I would have looked gargantuan. Um, they had nobody over uh, 5'11". You had to be beneath six feet tall. So I thought, maybe if I go and try to hunker down, and that wouldn't work. So I was not able to do that, though it would have been a great honor to have tried. No guarantee I would have made it, but at least it would have been fun to submit some photographs and and, you know, possibly have made it to the second round of a walk, you know, doing some walkthroughs or whatever. Um, I liked well, seeing the shape as it looked in color. Do what I, what I found it appalling about the movie was uh, the um, the old lady that, that, that was uh, Kate Winslet later. When she dropped that thing into the ocean, it's like I, I, I wasn't even going – in my mind, along the lines of uh, what's his name from Terminator, um, uh, I was going. Bill you know Paxton. that could feed so many people. You could have just donated it to charity. What are you doing? You drop yeah. like thing that could save people's lives. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Exactly. Exactly. There was uh, the and a lot of people didn't. Cameron sort of left it open for interpretation. Was Rose dreaming, or did she really die and then go back to the ship? And, and uh, what, what I was telling Francie this afternoon when she was talking about the show to me um, and you and the Titanic, uh, I I kept telling her, you know, I don't understand how Rose couldn't have, in the movie, Rose couldn't have let Leonardo DiCaprio up and at least on top of her. Or something. I mean, she couldn't like help them up. There, there was enough room for both of them, even if one had to go on top of the other. I mean, it's just, just after and looking at it, proved it. Mythbusters. Yeah. Well, I'm a horrible yeah. person now. What about Mythbusters? Prove. They, they did a, a, a whole show about could Jack have climbed up there beside Rose, and they definitely proved that she could, that, it, that it could, they could be up there together. 
Yeah, yeah, that's what I figured after watching it. Like, I, I have watched it a few times. It really is a great movie. And it's a great movie about a time period. And they went through all kinds of trouble just to make it as perfect, historically accurate as possible with these two main characters that are fictitious. Uh, it's just uh, in that day and age, too, I mean... Um, uh, uh, oh, compared to a nice to remember other ones, yeah, it was it was yeah. really great. I thought, um, but um, uh, so far uh, since we still have you, what did you think about the movie Raise the Titanic? Loved it. I know it was hokey um, when it came out. I was the theater was mostly empty, but I went two or three times because I'd already, I started looking and studying and reading about this ship in the mid-70s. And this came out around 1980. So I told my mom, I said, drop me off. I'm going to go, I want to watch it again. She goes, again? And I said, yes, ma'am. It's only two bucks, two fifty. That's what movie prices were back in those days. And that was what I imagined is when they found the ship, if it was still in one piece, is raising the ship. One of the best scenes in all of Titanic moviedom is when that ship comes up out of the water. Um, yeah. Everybody that yeah. has ever seen it, even though we know it's split in half, we see it coming up out of the water, and it just, you know, that big vacuum in our lungs, just it takes our breath away that that's what it could have looked like and what it could have been. And, uh, and with I the special effects, um, back then, we're talking about a late 70s movie. Uh, that was an incredible scene. It was. Yeah, and, um, and I even have the soundtrack. Great. Well, that, mo that model actually is uh, getting restored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah it's down in Malta right now. Well, go ahead, Francie. There was a guy... In the 90s, uh, he had a beachfront property in Florida, and the actual chairs. Florida. Florida. The actual chairs from the Titanic washed up on his property. I've not heard of that. Not in the 90s. Oh, Neither have I. That's all. I didn't see the link. Okay. That that might have been a marketing ploy more than anything else. No, they they, they had historians out there and they said, Yep, that is that is from the Titanic. They washed up what? on the shore and they were like, Oh, we got these beach chairs. It was from the Titanic. Well, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, I got a question. Uh, read that. Yeah. Uh, Bill, One last thing um, about Rose's age. It seemed like her, okay. they misadded her age because it seemed like she was a certain, like 90 something, and, you know, from 1912 to whatever. She seemed like she had to be like 10 to, you know, for her age to jibe with the story. Did they make a mistake? Well, if she was 97 or 96, whatever her age was, that mm -hmm. was filmed in 97, so that would have made her born at 1900. So she should have been 12 or 13 12. 
Yeah. If she was at that age. So if she was 98, almost 100, that would put her 15 or 16, which would be a little bit more appropriate. He may have been off by a year uh-huh. or two. And uh, yeah. that, that's legitimate. That was a legitimate statement. Um, is that how old was she? Now, what year was she born? So, if she was 18 on the ship, she would have had to been born in 94, which means uh-huh. that she would have been 103 when the movie was filmed. 102, 103. And uh, it, she was old. And, and yeah. I don't think if you're 100 yeah. years old, you're not going to have a granddaughter that's 28 or 30. You're going to have a granddaughter that's 50. Because if you're 100, you're going to have a daughter that's 70 and a granddaughter that'd be more like 50. So, uh, yeah, little, little. And they're going to have a granddaughter that's going to be privy to what uh, you're trying to do with um, uh, finding out who, what bodies belong to who and another supporter. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you go, trying to figure out who, who's Jack, where was Jack's DNA? Um, yeah, yep. that was the fun part. Seems like it should have been great but granddaughter. Nobody ever knew he lived. He existed only in her memory. Hey, hey, Here's Bill. your Titanic trivia uh, hey, question. Hey, Bill. Um, yes. um, uh, this afternoon when Francie was talking to me about the show and everything, I knew very little, uh, except that William um, brought you onto the show uh, through Francie, and um, and just a, a few things that Francie was talking about, especially the Titanic and everything. But uh, um, it, it's uh, it it was very fascinating to listen to the first part of the show and to interact about. I mean, it was I didn't expect you to talk about um, um, uh, how important it is to you um, to find. The relatives of um, the bodies that were recovered, um, the, and so I, I got more into the show than I, I profess sometimes I usually don't, um, and uh, uh, that that's very fascinating. That's a different angle to the whole Titanic thing, uh, and and I used to wonder about that too. Uh, I I I thought that everybody that died just sunk to the bottom. And they were never heard from again, and maybe through paper records or something, you know, pe- uh, people in the future would find out. But more often than not, nobody would know for sure. And and uh, after hearing about that, it's it's like uh, to, it's actually there's something really grand to be said about that endeavor. Well, thank you. We. Um... Titanic researchers realize that that we we don't do this for our glory. We do it to honor them. We do it to honor the passengers and crew, um, yep. the people that are in that Irish village that I told you about, La Hardone, in County Mayo in Ireland. Um, they lost eleven of their sons and daughters, and their story is so incredible. Very few people in America know about it. And so when I went over there. The more I learned, it was it was so remarkable how some of these people were related. One of them was Jamie Flynn. Jamie had a sister that was deaf, and Jamie could talk to her with sign language. Her parents could not talk to her as well as her brother could, and she was terrified. And she told Jamie, um, "I want 
be able to do anything without you. I won't won't do it. He said, as soon as I get to America, I'm going to send money home for you to come to be with me. And, you know, this is her story. Um, Nobody knows much about what happened afterwards because people couldn't talk to her as well as he could. He didn't survive. When they were on the ship, there were two young boys, Jamie Flynn and his cousin, Pat Canavan. Now, I know Pat's nephew. Pat's nephew is named Tommy Canavan. Great, great man. Um, He was my host when I was up there. Tommy treated me like I was family. He was just such a wonderful man. But what these guys did with these ladies, there were 11 ladies, they came to a spot where there was no ladder to climb up to the next deck. So the guys interlocked their fingers and said, here, step in their hands. And then when the ladies stepped in their two hands, they boosted her up to the next level. They did that. And then the guy, one of the fellows boosted the other one up, and then the second would jump up and grab his hand, and he would pull his buddy up. And that's how they made it up to the boat deck. And uh, the boys were trying their best to get the girls saved. And uh, three of them did make it. Um, But for every story that that we know, like the Strauss story or the Astor story, uh, there are dozens that that many people do not know. Um, It's it's amazing every time I hear a new one. Uh, It brings tears to my eyes. I had a a family member on the ship. Um, It was a distant cousin I found out through Ancestry. And she was a – her family came over about four generations after mine did, so we're very distant relations, but it's the same family line. And we come from Horsmonden, Kent, England, is where the Willards come from. And Constance Willard was a first-class survivor. Her family came and moved and uh, started making money in railroads. My branch would rather have land – they thought land would be great, so they went to the south where land was readily available. And, uh, of course, in the 1860s, everything was turned upside down in America. And the railroads made tons of money. The people who owned land ended up, of the southerners, losing them in taxes, uh, quite a bit of their properties. So my family ended up being poor dirt farmers. And... Uh, that's that's my heritage, you know. I have English and Irish heritage, and a little, a little bit of Scotch heritage. I got I got a little bit of Irish in me too. Hey, there you go. Well, big as St. Patty's baby, uh, I, I, I I have a little bit of Irish in me on the seventeenth of March, and that's about it. <laughs> Is she a, Are you a St. Patrick's Day baby? I sure am. <laughs> Oh, wow. About four years ago on St. Patrick's Day, uh, the day after, uh, we heard somebody singing in our backyard. And I walked out on our back deck, and there was a guy sitting there just singing. And he was he was as drunk as a skunk, and he was just singing away. And I said, can I help you? And he said, oh, me boy, oh, I partied a little too much for St. Patty's Day. I said, well, <laughs> we need to get you home. And I said, can you tell me what your name is? is?" And he says, well, my first name, I'm Irish, is Patty. And I said, okay, well, what is your last name? And he goes, oh, furniture. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm saying. (laughs) Patio furniture, yes, that was who was in my backyard. 
I know, but it's late at night for me, so I start getting a little dad jokes when that happens. Oh, we all do. We all do. Mm-hmm. It's getting late on Francie and Friends, and after a while, we all like start like saying funny stuff. Like oh, yeah. I, I think this would probably be the better time for me to talk about me and the Titanic in the bathtub. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you know, another time we need to talk about eight six seven five three zero nine. No! Uh, sorry, we're not there we go. Yes, without a no! doubt. I think Jenny was probably there. No, <laughs> no. Back in the late. Hey. I got a question. I'm sorry. All right, all right. you guys a, got so, that song stuck in my head. We're about to go on live now. You guys think about this song. Well, I have to go anyways, people, so can we have Bill on again sometime if he wants to come back on? I would be of honored course. to. Uh, I don't mind having A duck walked up to a lemonade stand, and he said to the man running the stand, Hey, bum, 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 got any grapes? The man said, No, we just sell lemonade, but it's cold and it's fresh and it's all homemade. Can I get you a glass? The duck said, How pass? Then he waddled away, waddle, waddle, till the very next day, bum, 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 bum. When the duck walked up to the lemonade stand, and he said to the man running the stand, Hey, bum, 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 got any grapes? The man said, No, like I said yesterday, we just sell lemonade, okay? Why not give it a try? The duck said, Goodbye. Then he waddled away, waddle, waddle. Then he waddled away, waddle, waddle. Then he waddled away, waddle, waddle. Till the very next day, bum, 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 bum. When the duck walked up to the lemonade stand, and he said to the man running the stand, Hey, bum, 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 got any grapes? The man said, Look, this is getting old. I mean, lemonade's all we've ever sold. Why not give it a go? The duck said, How about no? Then he waddled away, waddle, waddle. Then he waddled away, waddle, waddle, waddle. Then he waddled away, waddle, waddle. Till the very next day, bum, 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 bum. When the duck walked up to the lemonade stand, and he said to the man running the stand, Hey, bum, 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 got any grapes? The man said, That's it. If you don't stay away, duck, I'll glue you to a tree and leave you there all day, stuck. So don't get too close, the duck said, adios. Then he waddled away, waddle, waddle. Then he waddled away, waddle, waddle, waddle. Then he waddled away, waddle, waddle. Till the very next day, bum, 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 bum. When the duck walked up to the lemonade stand, and he said to the man running the stand, Hey, bum, 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 got any glue? What? Got any glue? No, why would I? Oh, then one more question for you. And the man just stopped, then he started to smile, he started to laugh, he laughed for a while, he said, come on duck, let's walk to the store, I'll buy you some grapes, so you won't have to ask anymore. And Bill. Yes ma'am, or yes. I know you were still on because it's 
Project Name Them All group page. There is a Titanic Conference 22 group page. And then there's my own individual Facebook page. William is a friend, so you can see my image on it. That shows me behind the laptop right now. But it's under my name, Bill Willard. All right. Bill, you've been awesome. Thank you. It was fun. I really enjoyed it. Well, we, we would love to have you back again. Well, you you decide one of these days when you've got a spare spot and give me a holler, and we'll see if we can't work something out. All right, that's, we can that work something good. out. There we go. Everybody take care. I'm heading toward the bed. Well, All right. Okay, good night, Bill. Good, good night, night, everybody. everybody. Thank, you. Thank you again. Good night. Bye-bye. There we go. So that was. I'd say we had a fun night. That what was do you think? Bill Willard. Yep. It was a good night. Nick loved it. Well, I'm I'm glad that he did. You know, that's what makes it all more part of the fun. You know. Exactly. I'm going to so call I, you. I, I, oh, okay. Okay. Love you. I guess. Love you. Well, love, love you too. Good night, everybody. Echo. 
play the song, You Made Me So Very Happy. You Made Me So Very Happy by Blood, Sweat, and Tears on Amazon Music. Oh, wow. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 